who are who at the last message. I want to thank you as a congregation for this past week. We have been richly blessed, my wife and I, and Mary Jo, this experience with you has been a blessing. You brothers and sisters have been an encouragement to us, and we thank you for that. It's been a blessing to be in some of your homes, to sit at your tables, and to have a meal with you. That's always one of the highlights of Special Week, to be with you and just share a meal with you, to get to know you a bit better. Thank you for the love offering that you've just shared. I feel unworthy. Thank you. God bless you. Most of all, I thank you this morning for your prayers. Many of you have assured me that you're praying for this week and the preaching of the Word, and I have felt your prayers, and I thank you very much for them. May God bless you as a congregation. As we come to the final message, I would entitle the message, Jesus Returns for the Church. Not only did Jesus pray for the church, He's going to return for the church, for His bride, for you and I as believers. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. Thank you. <clears throat> That's why we have meals, right? So you see ourselves, huh? Second Peter chapter three. I don't think I'll read this text this morning for sake of time. I I want to uh, simply share this text in various sections and. Each of these sections will begin with the word do. But before I come to that, I'd like to just begin here with several verses. Where it says, what Peter says, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, and both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, and that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles, and of the Lord and Savior knowing that first there shall come, there shall be scoffers coming in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lust. Peter is talking about Jesus returning for the church. And does the idea of Jesus' return, does it bring comfort to you and I? I believe Peter is talking to the church because he uses the word beloved several times, I think four times, an endearing term, 
having, having reference to the church, the beloved, the people of God. So this message is to and for the church. He uses beloved in verse 1, verse 8, verse 14, and then again in verse 17. And Peter capitalizes on that faculty that God gives us, has given us our minds. And he, he, he invites us, he wants to stir up our pure minds by way of remembrance. Now, the fact that Jesus is going to return and a message on the Lord's return is not anything new to you. But I want to stir up your minds, your pure minds, by way of just reminding you that Jesus is going to return for the church. So much of the time, so often, we love novelty, something that is new, something that is different. But Peter says, it's for your good that we just remind you to stir up your minds, pure minds, by way of rem reminders, reminding you that Jesus is going to return. And that should be a comfort to us. For the Lord himself shall return with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall arise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Then what does he say? Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus returning comfort to the church. He is returning for the church. Now, I'd like to divide, as I said, this text into about nine different sections. First of all, verse 3 and 4. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since our fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. I would call this the denial of Jesus' coming. There are going to be scoffers in this last days, and they're around, that they say Jesus is not going to return. Scoffers, mockers, those who jeer at, and those, those who make outward sport with. Jesus isn't going to return. In fact, this, he, this expression, where is the promise of his coming, was, was uh, as a question here. But in, in the Hebrew, that would have been a statement. We do not believe it exists. Where is the promise of his coming? In the days of Malachi, the scoffers were saying, where is the God of judgment? Malachi 2.17. God of judgment doesn't exist. Don't believe it. The psalmist David in his day, the scoffers were saying, where is your God? Don't believe he exists. At the same time, David was saying, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. My tears have been my meat day and night. While they say, where is your God? In the days of Jeremiah, the scoffers were saying, where is the word of the Lord? Doesn't exist. In Peter 3, the scoffers are saying, Where is the promise of his coming? After all, our fathers fell asleep. 
as it says. And all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. We live in a pretty safe and stable world. One generation comes and it goes. Another generation comes, they fall asleep, they go. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He's not going to return. Pretty stable world we live in. Not only do these scoffers only say by with their lips that he's not going to return, they indicated by their very lifestyle that they're denying his return. They say, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And they walk after their own lust. They're in denial of his coming through their lifestyle. Jesus had much to say about his return. And in Matthew 24, he says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man, when Jesus returns for his church. Now, how was it in the days of Noah? Well, we don't have much information, but we do know, as Jesus said, that in that day, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, and they were getting given in marriage. They were living after their own lusts. living in a state of denial that there would ever be a flood. And that preacher of righteousness named Noah continued to preach that there's going to be a flood. But they continued to deny the fact that there would ever be a flood. Jesus says that as you observe the trees, the fig tree, another place he says, not just the fig tree, but the trees. As we observe that, let's be prepared. Let's remember that Jesus is returning again. The trees are budding again. I just heard yesterday someone talking about trees budding. We're in a season. We're going to move into summer. And Jesus says as we observe these things that take place in our world, remember the tree. It's budding. And Jesus is going to return again. Regardless of what scoffers say, Jesus will return again for the church. Point number two, verse five through seven. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. I would call this the destruction that is coming. The destruction that is coming. Peter reminds these scoffers that simply by a spoken word, God brought into existence the creation. Simply by a spoken word. By the same word, he says in verse 7, they can be destroyed. They can be destroyed. 
I don't know how it's all going to be. But I must believe, as Peter says, that if God could speak this world into existence, he can destroy it with a spoken word as well. Will, will the earth within itself, the heat within the core of the earth, will it burn up this world? I don't know. Will it destroy it? I don't know what's going to happen. But I believe by a spoken word. I have, I have been able at times to look through telescopes and to look at stars. And if you, if, you, if you get close enough, if you see a star close enough, there's nothing but a big burning mass. A hot burning mass. If one of those stars would collide into this world, what we call Earth, could it destroy it? I believe it could. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I believe that God is going to destroy this world. But the Peter makes reference in the first several verses where he, where he talks about what the holy prophets had taught us. And so in Joel chapter 2 and verse 30, there it says something like this, when God would show blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Psalm 15 verse 3 says, talks about the time when God comes with a devouring fire shall, shall precede him. Isaiah 29 and verse 6 and also 30 and verse 30. There it says that the Lord will come with fire. Malachi 4.1 says the day of the Lord shall burn as an oven. A day of destruction before he returns. Point number three. Verse 8 and 9. But, beloved, but, dear church, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What might we call this? The delay of His coming. The delay of Jesus in return. Oh, what a picture of the mercy of God. He delays his return. Why is Jesus delaying his return for the church? Now, Jesus, just because he delays his return, does not mean that he will not return. He will return. While the bridegroom tarries, or while the bridegroom lingers, while Jesus tarries and lingers and delays his return, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus says, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. You find that in, in Matthew 24, verse 32 to 34. And I'm not exactly sure what all Jesus was saying there, because sometimes it shifts from, from talking about the, the, the Lord's return to the kingdom, the kingdom of God and, and, and the beginning of the kingdom of God, the church. But 
I believe with all my heart that every generation needs to see that or believe that Jesus could return in my generation. I've been told that my great-grandfather, John A. Yoder, when he preached on the second return of the Lord, that he said that he believed it could happen in his generation. He's been long gone. I know that my mother used to say that she does not believe that any of her children will ever grow up to adulthood and to have families and homes of their own because Jesus is going to return before that happens. She was wrong. I believe in my heart that Jesus could return in my lifetime. He delays his coming. And one of the dangers of delaying his coming is that we remove right back into denial where the scoffers were. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. He hasn't come yet. He won't come. No, God is long-suffering. God is patient. And I think of three things as it relates to the long-suffering of God as it relates to this idea of delaying his return for the church. Number one is that God is eternal. God does not calculate or measure time in the way that you and I do. In fact, what's the ratio here? One day with the Lord is as a thousand years. That's one in 365,000. God does not measure time like you and I do. It's important that we understand that. Secondly, as, 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 as Jesus relays his return for the church, we have time. We have time. Time is a gift. Time is opportunity. Opportunity to repent. Opportunity to grow. Opportunity to draw near to the Lord. Opportunity to serve the Lord. Opportunity to advance the kingdom. Opportunity. Opportunity after opportunity. He's delaying his, his coming to give us time. Time. We're to redeem the time. Because there's a day coming when men can no longer work, the Bible says. Redeem the time. There is a time coming, according to Matthew 25 and verse 10, where the door is going to be shut. When Jesus returns, the door is shut. No more opportunity or time. Some years ago, we were flying from Dublin to Bucharest. And we had an internet uh, a connecting flight in Budapest. And I distinctly remember that day, as we were sitting there at the gate, waiting for a flight in Budapest, the gate beside us, and, and we were flying Ryanair. And Ryanair is one of those, uh, those airlines that... Uh, they're called the economy airlines, where 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 where, where they where they board their planes a little bit like animals. You know, you, you get on there and they're off. 
Uh, you don't have, you don't, you're not assigned seats. You just take the seat that, that's, that's closest to you, and, and, and you, you board on, you, and you get off, and then they're off. In fact, they have this, this slogan that uh, they, their destinations are on time as much as any airline uh, in, in, the, in, the, in Europe. But anyway, on this particular day, the flight beside us was boarding. And they called about once or twice for one of, 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 of the, uh, the travelers that was to be on that plane. They shut the door. They began to push the plane back. And I heard footsteps coming down the hall. And there was not a walk to those footsteps. There was a run. And it was, it was running toward that gate. And when that woman got to the gate, the door was shut, the plane was being pushed back, and she began to beat, and it was a glass door, so she could see what was happening. She began to beat on that door, and she said, open this door, open this door, and she beat and beat on that door. Finally, she, she understood that that door was not going to open up, and she sat back on a chair, and she put her head down between her knees, and she just bawled and bawled. And I immediately thought of this verse. The door was shut. The delay was over. That time is coming. Jesus is going to return. And there will be no more time. Thirdly, as he delays, it tells me that God, the heart of God is that no one would perish. No one would perish. Now, that doesn't mean that they will not perish because we are, have power of choice. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. No, he doesn't. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So he delays. And he gives opportunity. I don't know when that time is coming, but someday, when Jesus returns for the church, the last soul to step across the line and be prepared for that day. He delays his coming. Number four, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat, and the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I would call this the dreadful day of his return. The dreadful day of his return. The Lord is going to return with fair for the unbelief. It will be a dreadful day. It will be a day, the Bible says, that they're going to call for rocks and mountains to cover. A dreadful day. The prophet Nehemiah says it will be a day when the mountains are going to quake and the hills are going to melt and the earth burns. And all that dwell therein, a day when God's fury is poured out like fire. Awful 
awful day for the unprepared when Jesus returns for his church. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the earth a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. Isaiah 13, 9. Joel 2, 1 and 2, the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. Yes, the day when the foundations of this world are going to quake and shake. A day of dread, terror, and dread. And so the Apostle Paul says something like this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every man may receive the things done in his body, according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or evil. And then verse 11, he says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. A dreadful day. Point number five, verse 11 and 12. Seeing then, writing to the church now, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming in the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Let's call this the moral dynamics of his return. The moral dynamics of his return. Seeing that, understanding as believers as the church that this is going to be a day of dread and terror for the unbelievers. There is a complete different dynamic or power at work in our lives as we think about the Lord's return. For us to escape this awful dreadful day, there must be another power at work within us. We call it the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot be walking after our own lust as these prophets were. There's something else at work within us that causes us to have a conversation or a behavior that is not like these scoffers and those who say that he will not return. Yes, he is returning for the church. Godliness. Our behavior is to be godly. That is simply, I believe, a God consciousness. How much of our thought processes are, are conscious about God? A God consciousness. A different dynamic at work in the lives of believers. Point number six, verse 13 through 14. Nevertheless, I like this. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, Seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent 
that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I call this the deliverance package. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus returns for the church, he is going to deliver us. What a beautiful thought. He is going to come to deliver us. Those who are cleansed and have claimed the blood of Jesus in their lives, whose conversation is holy and godly, he is coming to deliver us, to take us from this world. As verse 12 says, looking for and hasting unto his coming. Yes, it's okay for us to pray even so. Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come and deliver us. Come and deliver us. Jesus tells us in Luke 21, when he's talking about his return, he says in verse 28, when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. Talking about wars and rumors of wars and all these things are going to be happening towards the end of time. And he says, when, the, when you begin to see that, look up. Lift up your heads. Your redemption is near. We need to be looking up. Our redemption is close. Redemption. Redemption. There are about eight different words as it relates to the meaning of salvation throughout the New Testament. But as you think of salvation, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28 says something like this. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, but unto us that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Those who are looking up, those who are awaiting his return, he's going to return for us the second time. Without a sin offering, that's been taken care of. That's what he did when the first time he came. But the second time when he comes, he's going to come for our salvation. What does that mean? The word salvation here means that he's going to take us to safety. He's going to take us to a place of deliverance. A final deliverance. From all that is sinful, dark, and painful, he's going to deliver us. We must continue to look up a day of deliverance. Number seven, verse 15 and 16. An account of the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, has written unto, unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking of them, of things, of these things, in which were, are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also other scriptures, unto their own destruction. 
I call this deception before his return. Deception before his return. And Peter, or Jesus, also in, in Matthew 24, has a lot to say about deception. Even to the point that if, if, if these days are not shortened, the very elect will be deceived. Days of great deception. And Peter says that this, in, in these last days before Jesus returns, there is going to be a resting and a twisting and a perverting of the Word of God. A twisting, a perverting of the Scriptures. And he says, especially so as it relates to our beloved brother Paul and his writings. I know of people that would say, if Jesus said it, yes, I, I will follow that. But what Paul says, no. I would remind us this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 37 says something like this. If a man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you, they are the commandments of the Lord. If I profess to be a spiritual man, I must understand what Paul writes is of the Lord. If I profess to be a prophet with some new voice, I must understand that what Paul writes is of the Lord. Great deception. May I bear my heart this morning? We live in these last days of a wrenching and a twisting of God's precious word. You see, the precious word of God has become market. Zondervan, other publishers, know that if they're going to be successful in business, they're going to have to produce something that the people of the time are going to buy. I want to be careful not to say that I believe only the authorized version is the only one. But, but I would just caution us to be very, very careful. There are gender-neutral gender Bibles out there. In the beginning, God created them male and female. You know what they say? In the beginning, God created them human. Why? Something that was so. Great deception in last days. Great deception. Number eight. Verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, be aware, lest ye also being led away into with an air and the wit of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. That has to do with decay before his return. The decay or the apostasy before Jesus returns. Before he returns, it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, 
For the day of the Lord shall come not, shall not come, except there be a falling away first. Before Jesus can return for the church, there's going to be a falling away from truth. There's going to be apostasy. We need to be surprised of that. There's going to be a falling away from the truth. We find some very sobering and serious words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, where it says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And the reason that is so sobering and serious is because of the context in which it is found. The Apostle Paul is writing about the experiences of the children of Israel. And he says they all went through the, the Red Sea. They were all baptized. They all ate of that spiritual meat. They all drank of that spiritual rock, which is Christ. And then they all had the same experience. And in Exodus chapter, 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 37, there were Moses and Aaron number the people as they leave Egypt. A type of a salvation experience. They left Egypt. They number the men. 600,000. They number them again. Moses and Eliezer, I believe it was. In Numbers chapter 26, verse 64 and 65. And of those 600,000 men, how many made it into the promised land? Two. Joshua. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. A day of great decay before Jesus returns. Lastly, and, and uh, but certainly not least, the last verse, and I love this one. But grow, but grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. I would call this the developing church. Jesus is going to return for a developing church. A church that is growing in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A growing church. I think I used that illustration here before this week. But as I look across you as an audience, there are babies, there are children, there are youth, there are young adults, and, and there are middle-aged, and there are those who are older. And I believe as Jesus looks on his church, as he observes us here this morning, this local assembly and body of believers, I believe he sees the same thing. And I believe with all my heart that if Jesus our Lord would return this afternoon and the, the eastern skies would open up and he would return again as he went through that cloud and he would return again, all those, regardless if it is a baby in Christ, if it is one that is a youth, or if it is one that is middle-aged, or if it is one that is full in stature, we will go with them. 
He is returning for a developing bride, for a church that is growing. And I love the idea of growing and growing. Peter was a man, as we said in the other message, that was rash. He was, he was, he was carnal in many ways. But here in, in his writings, he uses words that are synonymous to growing. He uses words like multiplying, adding, and abounding. He is a man that developed into a spiritual giant as he grew in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must never underestimate the potential of spiritual growth within us. I think of young men. When they were young lads, I would have said, oh no, there's no hope for them. Far less than ideal situations. But those young men have developed into spiritual giants. I would want to remind us this morning that all living things must grow from within. You and I are going to grow in grace and knowledge and to be part of that developing bride. There has to be life within us. Spiritual life is what I'm talking about. All living things grow from within. Physically. I'm a bit reluctant to say this because there's doctors here, but I think the word is synthesis. It has to do with cells within us. And, and these cells within us are, are connected with other cells. And as we eat our food, as children eat their food, these, these cells take in the, 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 the nutrients of this food, and that develops them and helps them to grow. There's life within, cells connecting with cells, and thus they grow. Life is within. Now, there are dead things that grow as well, such as minerals, stalactites, rocks. But they grow only from the external side as, as things are attached to them and the conditions are right, and then they grow. But they're dead. Living things grow from within. Is there life within? There must be. If we're going to be a part of that developing bride, there has to be spiritual life within. As we grow in grace and in knowledge, I'm not going to go on into that. But the word knowledge here is a progressive word. There are a number of meanings throughout the New Testament as it relates to the word know and knowledge. And here in 2 Peter 3, it is progressive. But in 1 John chapter 3, in verse 2, where the writer says there, where John says, Beloved, now are we, are, are we the sons of God, and it doth yet not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, when he comes for the church, we are going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The word know there means completeness 
and fullness of knowledge. When Jesus our Lord returns for the church, we're going to see him as he is. There will be no more developing of the bride, growing in grace and knowledge, because we're going to have full knowledge of who he is. See him as he is. But grow in grace and knowledge. Here's a rubber band. Our Lord Jesus takes us individually, and maybe He takes us as churches and experiences that are strange in us. It stretches us, and we say, Ouch, please, God, relieve the pressure. Oh, God, have mercy. We go through these experiences in life, and then after some time, it relaxes. And God, in his love, he'll take us through experiences again that are going to cause us to grow and develop. And we see stretches us again and again and again. And we say, ouch, painful. But you know what? Every time this rubber band relaxes, it doesn't relax to the point that it was before I stretched it. But grow. We grow. We grow year after year in the midst of painful experiences. We grow. God bless you as a congregation. Jesus is going to return for us. He's going to return for Bethel Fellowship Congregation. I pray that there be not deception or apostasy to the point that you no longer develop. May we continue to develop as it returns for us so that we can be part of that church that is coming soon. God bless.